Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Uh, we're continuing the talk from last week, uh, where Buna Paul started our series focusing on Simeon the Elder, and I will be continuing on, focused on Anna the Prophetess. So we said last week, Abuna Paul was talking about how Simeon the Elder was in the temple, and he was an old man who was, lived a very, very long time, and bef- the moment that he saw Christ, he said, now, you're, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And we spoke a lot about Simeon the Elder as a character, Simeon the Elder, about all the lessons that we could learn from him. And this week, I want to speak to you about one of, one of the women in the Bible that I consider to be a hero. One of the women in the Bible that I consider to be a hero. And I consider her to be a hero because in three verses, in Luke chapter 2 from verses 36 to 38, is all that we know about her life. We are actually, you know, nothing else about her. Most people... Like, when I was doing my research and trying to find different people that have spoke about Anna the prophetess, I found very, very little on her. So, I'm excited because I think for many of us, maybe we've never explored her life, maybe we've never explored how her eyes saw salvation, and we haven't really thought about how she applies to our life and how we can learn from her. So the hope is, is that we can explore her life and really dive deep into who she was as a character and learn from her and ask for her prayers. Before we get started, I want to speak about the literary device that Luke uses when he was writing his gospel. St. Luke was a brilliant writer, and he's often very detailed. So when he's telling a story, and he suddenly becomes a little bit silent or a bit vague, he does this on purpose. It's actually a calculated move. Like, for example, one of the brilliant things that he does is when he retells the parable of the prodigal son. At the end of the prodigal son, we don't know what happens with the two sons. We kind of see the story ends a little bit on a cliffhanger, and you find many stories in the Gospel of Luke of how he will leave a little bit of silence in order for the Holy Spirit to speak, in order for us to try to find where God is in the narrative and what he's trying to teach us. So St. Luke is encouraging readers to engage with the Word, with their imagination, and to spend some time meditating on the events, which he refers to, but he does not necessarily explain. You with me? So he leaves something and some stuff for the imagination for you to sort of fill in the blanks. So our passage for today is from Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. Now I'm going to go verse by verse. I know it seems like three chapters, three verses, and it doesn't seem like there's that much in these three verses. But I promise you, there is so much here. Now, there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers day and night. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in, Israel, in Jerusalem. You read that passage, you're like, nice story. You just wait. So Anna the prophetess, 
I want to start with breaking down this first verse, verse 36. It says, Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Now you look at this superficially, it's just saying, there's this woman, she's the daughter of this guy named Phanuel, she's from the tribe of Asher, and they refer to her as a, a prophetess. So we, we know her name, we know her title, we know her daddy, and we know her tribe. That's what this verse tells us. Now, superficially, if you read the text, okay, I know her name, her title, her daddy, her, her, her tribe. What am I supposed to walk away with? First, her name means grace. Grace. Anna, the definition of the word Anna means grace. So I want you just to keep that in your mind. I'm not going to dive too deep just for the sake of time on the name grace, but I want you just to keep it in, her, in your mind. Her title as a prophetess. The word prophet... By the way, it comes from the Greek word we know in Coptic as well, prophetis, which means spokesman. A prophet in the Bible is one who proclaims God's word and therefore speaks as like a spokesperson or speaks on behalf of God. So whenever you hear the word prophet or prophetess, you know that oftentimes that that person is speaking as the lips of God. We say even in our liturgy that you've sent us prophets Many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things which you see and have not seen them. We even say in the prayer of reconciliation about how you've sent us prophets in the last day. So prophets was a person who was a spokesperson for God. The faithful prophet or prophetess, and note this, was one who regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what people were saying, regardless of how socially unacceptable it was for them to prophesy, they did it because they knew that they were spokespersons for God. You with me? So the fact that the Bible refers to her as Anna the prophetess, it means that she was receiving a revelation from God. Now we're going to talk about what this revelation was that she received from God and how she went about sharing it with others. But the thing that I want you to focus on is whenever a title is given to someone in the Bible, it has strong importance for us to pay attention to. So we know her name means grace. We know that she's a spokeswoman of God. Now, the daughter of Phanuel, I don't know if Luke is doing this on purpose, but it's brilliant. Her dad's name means what? Means the face of God. Phanuel means the face of God. I'm not sure if it's irony, but Anna does indeed see the face of God when she beholds Christ in the temple. Like, imagine your whole entire life, you're calling your dad the face of God, and then you come face-to-face -face with God in Christ in the temple. Like, it's kind of cool how St. Luke throws that detail in because he's like, it's not just random. It's, I want you to pay attention. She's calling her father, Phanuel, her whole life. She's calling her father, face of God, face of God, face of God. And then all of a sudden, one day she is worshiping God in the temple and then little baby Jesus comes in. And all of a sudden, she's like, I've seen the face of God. Like, this is face, to, face of God right before me. Just a cool detail. Now, tribe of Asher. Okay, so remember we said her name, what? Her? Her what? Her title? Her? Her daddy? And now her? Tribe. Tribe of Asher. Y'all know that there were the 12 tribes of Israel. And these tribes were almost like your clans, like who you belong to. It's kind of like, you know, if I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, if I'm the tribe of Levi, if I'm the tribe of, of Joseph, if I'm the tribe of Judah, like your tribe gives indication of how faithful you were to God. You know, when the tribe split, 
There were tribes that were restored. There were tribes that stayed in captivity and ended up falling by the wayside. So before Christ, tribal associations are important. It's like who you belong to. The Gospels record genealogies on purpose. We see throughout all of the scriptures genealogy after genealogy after genealogy because genealogies to tell us where a person comes from. But from now on, Jesus replaces all genealogies. From now on, there is no I am the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Benjamin. We all belong to the body of Christ. No matter where you're born, no matter where you come from, no matter how faithful your great-grandfather was, it doesn't matter because all the tribes find their embodiment or who they are or what their identity is in Christ. Feel me so far? You with me? Am I getting too nerdy here? Okay. But another really cool thing. When Leah, the mother of Asher, was giving birth to him, she says this verse in Genesis 30, verse 13. She said, Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Does that sound familiar to what somebody else said? For henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. Leah, when she's giving birth to Asher, she says, all people will call me blessed through the giving birth of this little boy, Asher. Now Mary, from now on, truly all generations will be blessed through the baby that she gave birth to, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the, man, the Lamb of God who is the healer of our souls, the salvation of every single one of us. So discovering little connections like this allow us to understand that when St. Luke was writing, he's not writing accidentally. He's filling some details to make the reader look beyond the text. And my challenge for every single one of us, as we read scripture, are you just okay with the superficiality of what you read? Or do you want to go deeper beyond the words? There's so much more that you find. So let me summarize this for a second. My name is Anna. My name means grace. I am a prophetess. We don't know, by the way, St. Gregory of Anissa will say that we're not sure if the title was given to her before or after the fact. Before she saw Christ or after she saw Christ did she become a prophetess. Either way, she became a spokesperson of God. Her dad means, her, his name means the face of God, and she stands before the face of God in the temple when she encounters him. And henceforth, truly, Anna, because of her encounter with Christ, all generations mention her, Anna, with every nativity story. In fact, every single time, we as priests will walk in the church when we are walking around the altar with the little Bible. We will say, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. A light to the Gentiles and glory to Israel people. Right? We will restate what Simeon the elder said, and Simeon the elder is always attached with Anna the prophetess because the two of them encounter Christ at the exact same time when St. Mary and Joseph were bringing him to the temple. I want you just to look at this picture for a second. Just look at this picture. Look at this picture of her just in the temple, and then all of a sudden, this beautiful baby with his mother comes in, and ah, this day is a very different day for her. So we talked about some basic details. I'm going to go a little bit more deeper. 
So she was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers day and night. So we, folk, we see her age, we see her relationship, we see her pain, and we see her response. You with me? Her age, her relationship, her pain, her response. So she was of great age. By the way, many people will say that she was 84 years old, but that doesn't make sense. She was 84 years old when she became a widow, and she was married for seven years. And probably in the time period where she lived, she might have gotten married anywhere from 14 to 20 years old. So most commentators will say she's about 105 years old. So she's a very old woman, right? She's frail. She's kind of been through the thick of it, right? She lived with a husband for seven years. Now, anyone knows, for a young bride in Israel, the greatest day of a woman's life is what? The day of her wedding. Now, imagine you're married to the love of your life, and life is good. In Israel, when a woman would be married, she was taken care of now. She didn't have to worry. She didn't have to worry about how she was being provided for. Her whole life is now in protection or protected by her husband. And seven years into their marriage, all of a sudden she finds herself a widow. Now, I don't think it's ironic that St. Saint Luke writes this very particularly. And then it goes on to talk about, like, I think the, the pain that she went through. Right? Like, to lose the love of your life, most people... When they lose the love of their life, what happens to them? They get bitter, they get angry, they get upset. I think it's really interesting how this woman, her response was that she goes and worships God in the temple for 84 years. I'll dive a little bit deeper into that in a second. But we know that she was a widow of great age. We said she was about 105 years old, and we know that widows didn't have an easy time in that day. Oftentimes, by the way, they were exploited, and oftentimes they were commanded Basically, the commandments of the Lord were to protect widows. Actually, when you look at the book of James, it says pure and undefiled religion is this, that you visit the orphans and widows in their trouble. So you see that the heart of God very much is for widows because widows were neglected. Actually, when you see why the apostles appointed deacons in the book of Acts, you know why? Because the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So there was this real, like, these are the, basically the, 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 how do I say, almost like the weakest in society, the most vulnerable in society. The most vulnerable in society. Weak is not a good word. The most vulnerable in society. These are the ones that are in such need. And you see throughout all of the scriptures that widows are associated with a command. Widows are associated with pure and undefiled religion in the book of James. So Anna had only been married for seven years when she became a widow, and she became a widow for the rest of her life. Most people, by the way, when they were widowed, they would go almost like on a scavenger hunt to try to find the next man, right? It's like you're desperate, you're trying to now find your next medium by which you will be safe. Either way, we don't know what she did, but we know very clearly in the scriptures that she spent 84 years in the temple ministering before the Lord. I think the first lesson that we learned from Anna is when you face tragedy, refuse to turn your pain to anger. When you face a tragedy, everyone will eventually come into a place of pain. I don't think there's anyone in this room that won't face pain in some shape, way, or form in their life. 
Whether it be the pain of the loss of a loved one, whether it be the pain of you thought life would turn out to be a certain way, whether it be the pain of disease, whether it be the pain of a variety of different circumstances, every single one of us will encounter pain. And I think what we learn from Anna is she refused to turn her pain to anger. And I think for many of us, the natural thing is we go into this victim mentality. Why me? Why God? Why are you allowing this to happen? How could you let this go on? Like, I imagine if I was hurt and all of a sudden seven years into your marriage, you think life is good. And then all of a sudden you find yourself on the bottom of the totem pole. You find yourself in the most vulnerable state. How could you do this, God? Like, by the way, Anna didn't become a holy woman, a prophetess, overnight. She probably had, like, your, your desire to turn your pain into a means of worship doesn't just happen and overnight, she probably had been preparing herself for this moment that when she faced the hardship, she knew exactly how to respond. My question for every single one of us is, do you go into victim mentality? When you face a hardship in your life, do you sink and do you go to this down pit place where you just say, woe is me? In fact, in fact, when Job was going through his circumstance in the book of Job, you know what his wife said to him? She said, curse God and die. Like, thank you so much. You're such a supportive wife. You know? Like, if I'm Job, come on, I'm already lost everything. Curse God and die, she says. Like, most of us would probably, if somebody lost their spouse, if you're on the bottom of the totem pole, somebody who goes through all the different circumstances, stop worshiping God. Like, you have nothing to worship God for. Your life has been terrible. But Anna does what? She refuses to turn her pain to anger. She refuses to turn her tragedy into a means of her becoming a victim. She didn't become a victim, she became a victor. And I think for every single one of us, do we have victim mentality or do we have victor mentality? Do we have victim mentality where we go to this low place or victor mentality where we see God, we genuinely pursue him and he turns our tragedy into means of strength for us? Everyone will come to a place of pain, a pit that feels like there is no bottom, a well so deep that you can scarcely see the sky when you look up. Hopeless, far from any possibility, future joy or healing. But when someone looks at their circumstances outside of God, there's no hope. When you look at your circumstances with God, you turn your pain to a means of strength. She didn't depart from the temple, by the way. So Anna was a woman who loved God's house. She regarded it as the place where God especially dwelt. And toward every, and by the way, the temple was where every pious Jew, every Jew that was really devout would always worship. Like, you know, by the way, in our church, we always pray facing what? The east. In Judaism, what would they do? They would pray facing the west. They would pray facing the west. Because the west is where the temple was destroyed. Right? So all Jews will face the West praying because they're hoping one day that the temple will be rebuilt. They're hoping one day that that will be the place where glory will dwell. We learn the place or the direction of worship as the place where we look towards the temple of the Lord. The Jews had this mindset that every time they prayed, they would face the temple of the Lord because what does the temple represent? The temple represents the presence of God. The temple represents is where I'm nearest to God. Being near to God in the midst of her pain was her desire. She felt that she was never so near to God than when she was in the temple. I'll tell you guys this personally. 
The nearest where I feel to God is when I'm holding him in the palm of my hands in the Eucharist. The nearest where people who are broken feel the most strength when they come to the place where God makes himself available to every single one of us in the most humble of humble mediums, in bread and wine as the medium that he presents himself in his body and blood to us. See, Anna did not go run to people. She didn't go run to people to make her feel better. She didn't go try to make herself more pretty, more available for men. What did she do? She ran to the temple. She ran to where she really could find healing in the midst of her pain. My question to every single one of us, where do you run? You've heard me say this a thousand times before. Where do you run when you are in pain? This is your litmus test. The last tragedy that you had, the last difficult circumstance that you had, did you run to a person? Did you try to figure out how you were going to fix it? Or did you run to God? I think sometimes we make the running to God the last when we have nothing else left to do. It's like, okay, I'm desperate. I have nothing. I've hit rock bottom. I tried everything they possibly can, and now I'll come to you, God. Anna didn't do that. She ran to the temple, and she did not depart from the temple. So when you're in pain, bring your pain to the temple and seek God there. When you're in pain, and by the way, what does the temple, like, of course, we have the church represents the temple. But what do we say about us? Or do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? There is a temple, there is a temple that we run to, and there is a temple that is within. There is a presence of God who makes himself available in body and blood, but there's a presence of God who makes himself available who dwells in me, who encourages me, who supports me, who pushes me, whose name is the Holy Spirit. So when I'm going through a hardship, I go to the temple. But do I find the temple within? Do I find God within to encourage me? Do I find the comforter of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my team, in my name, will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance of the things which I've spoken on? Do I seek Him in my heart? See, I think Anna had this understanding that her soul longed, like King David did. Her soul longed and even fainted for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Anna did what? She ran to the temple. She sought God. She tried to find him to whatever she possibly could. See, I think most of us, if we were to look at her life, 84 years spent in a temple, like if we were to evaluate based on our standards, what would we say? We'd say that was a wasted life, right? Like society's standards are do what you can with the most of your life. Be more productive. Like if humans are the center of the universe, then what we say we should do is with your life, live the most fulfilled, productive, do as much as you possibly can, which is a good thing, by the way. It's not a bad thing if you are the center of the, life, of the world. But when God is the center of the world, 84 years in a temple is not a waste. 84 years actually is the greatest gift that can be given. What do you think Anna was doing? It says that she was fasting and praying. Do you guys know how Pope Krillus revolutionized the whole Coptic church? How, she started a, how he started a revival in the Coptic Orthodox Church? Was it through initiatives, 
Was it through doing this? You know how he did it? Through praying and fasting. Pope Carlos encountered Christ and he became a saint and every single person that saw him met Christ in the process. When you see any of the stories of people that speak about Pope Carlos, about how he interacted with people, their encounter with him changed their life. See, I think when she was in the temple and she was coming face to face with God, I think many of the people that would go into the temple and encounter Anna would see something special about her. She would whisper in their ears and tell her something. See, we think the more that we do, the more that actually we can contribute to the world. But actually, the greatest gift that we can give the world is we can be holy people. There's a saint in the church that says, acquire peace and thousands will be saved. Acquire peace and thousands will be saved. How does one acquiring peace save all the people around them? It's because I can say eloquent words. I can come up in here and I can present to you the gospel. But if you don't see the gospel in me, what good is it? If you don't see a life of holiness in me, what good is it? If you don't see me, a person who is beyond the words, is who he says he is, what good is it? Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Anna's encounter with God in the temple for 84 years changed her. Anna's encounter with God in those 84 years, prayer and fasting, probably changed many people around them. Some people will say, I remember as a young man, <laughs> I would always say how I thought monasticism was a waste of life. Honestly, because public confession. Confession. As a young man, I thought monasticism was a waste of life. I thought that, like, okay, are you scared? Like, it seems very defensive. Like, you're scared of losing your salvation, so you retreat into the wilderness to, like, pray and fast day and night? Like, go out, preach the gospel, evangelize, go, be, be, have all authority and power. And then I realized, when I encountered my first holy monk, that just seeing that person's face changed me more than any sermon, more than any uh, uh, initiative. A holy man coming face to face with a holy man changed me. The greatest gift that we can do for the world, actually, is to pray for the world. The greatest gift that we can do for our families is pray for our families. The greatest gift that we can do, the greatest lesson that we can learn from Anna is she didn't turn her tragedy into a means of anger. She didn't turn her pain as a, in, as a means of running away from God. She runs towards God. And she turns her tragedy into a means that she prays fervently day and night, fast day and night. What, for herself? No, for the sake of every single person around her. And I believe that that encounter was changing her. I believe that that encounter did something to her. See, a life with God is a life never wasted. That's why we esteem the monastics. That's why we esteem those who consecrate their lives to God. That's why we look to them as an icon, someone that inspires us and encourages us because these people forsook all to follow Christ. Now, for all of us, can we do the same? I'm not saying to leave your jobs. I'm not saying to forsake you know, everything. I'm saying the temple that is in the heart. Can you find God there? The temple that dwells within me, that this, that I'm supposed to use as a means of sanctifying myself in God, is supposed to go out and to change the world around me. Notice what happens. And in that coming instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption 
in Jerusalem. In the coming instant, the thing that I want to ask is of the thousands of people she saw in the temple, she immediately recognized Jesus. How? Like of the thousands of people that came in and out and Anna encountered and saw, she, she recognized Jesus. Like what made this little widow, this by the way was the custom of Jewish families to do, to bring their children and to present them to the temple. So what made this little baby and this mom so different that she immediately recognized Christ? What gave her the ability to see, to recognize the divine in the midst of the ordinary? It's the fasting and the praying. It's the 84 years of dedicating herself to God. It's the commitment to seeing God. It's the holiness that she pursued. It's the fervor by which she lived her life wanting to be in loving union with God. She wasn't going to the temple day and night and just doing the same thing over and over again. Every single time she would come into the temple, she wanted to encounter God in the temple. Her soul longed for the living God. So the moment she saw the face of God, the moment she saw the living God, said, that's the one. The Holy Spirit spoke to her. She was inspired. She knew directly right away. She recognized him because I think when John, when Christ speaks in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. She was acquainted with the voice of God. She knew exactly what he would look like. She was committed to the prophecy. She knew her scriptures. She knew exactly what God would look like. The moment he walks in, the moment she hears Simeon speak, this is him. This is him. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I know very clearly that this is this little baby who's held by this poor, small woman, Mary, is the face of God. And what does she do? She couldn't help. She couldn't help but go out and tell every single person about the redemption that was in Jerusalem right now. She became the first evangelist. Actually, we always say St. Mary Magdalene was the first evangelist of Christ. Who is the first evangelist? Anna the prophetess. She went out and started to tell everyone. Look what it says. It says, and, in, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. She went out and spoke to everyone who was waiting for the Messiah, who was longing to see Christ. She said, don't out tell people, he's here, he's here, look no, long, look no further. I've seen his face. I've come face to face with the face of God, the real Fanuel. No, I'm not talking about my daddy. I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about the real Fanuel, the real face of God. I saw him face to face. And I want to tell you that redemption is here. Healing is here. Hope is here. She goes out and tells everyone. She goes out and tells everyone because she recognizes him immediately. My question to you is if that babe walked in, would you recognize him? Would you know his voice? Are you acquainted with his word? Do you know what he would whisper to you? We already know what he whispers to us. In John chapter 17, he says, Sanctify them by your truth, and your truth is your word. Sanctify them by your truth, and your truth is your word. So sanctify them by your word. Make them holy. Make them like me by your word. 
He's praying to the Father, asking the Father to do that in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Word of God is what sanctifies us. The Word of God is what moves us. The Word of God is what allows us to know His voice. The Word of God is what inspires us. But the Word of God moves me to the temple, to worship, to prayer, to fasting. By the way, we're all in a period of fasting right now. And we love to change our diets. It's really easy for us to go from you know, uh, eating meat to vegan meat. It's really easy for us to change our habits of food. But I ask the question, what about our habits of holiness? What about our fervor and our diligence in our relationship with God? What about the cleansing of the temple that I am? So in this season, I want to ask every single one of you, me first and foremost, to learn from Anna as she looks at the face of that little baby, as she sees him, the joy, to seek joy even in your pain. Seek joy even in your pain. To spend more time in the temple. The temple here and the temple within. We have a temple that was within us, the, the heart. The heart where we can find Christ, where we can find the Holy Spirit who speaks in us. Where we can say the Jesus prayer and we can feel a sense of warmth that comes to our heart. Focus on prayer and fasting as you await your redemption. By the way, when Elisha was preaching in the sermon this morning, he was saying that we don't just uh, remember this event. We are reliving the feast, the, fat, the Advent time. We are in the period right now. We are awaiting Christ. As I was thinking yesterday, I was, I was meditating on the nativity story. And I was wondering to myself, if Joseph and Mary knocked on my door and were looking for a place in my house to stay with me, would I let them in? Like, do I have a heart of hospitality? Do I have a heart where I welcome people in the midst of the busyness? Would I make a place for him in my inn? Or would I be like, oh, no, no, sorry, there's an Airbnb nearby that I can book for you. Uh, you know, uh, I know this family in church who can take you. And like, would I be radically generous as Christ came and knocked on my door? Would I notice him? Or would I... Just be one of those people in the rest of the city of Bethlehem that just passed up on the greatest blessing that could have entered into their house. So focus on prayer and fasting as you await your redemption. Focus as the incarnation is coming, as Christ is coming. Focus on your making space for him in your inn. Focus on, Lord, if there's stuff in my heart that needs to be pulled out, if there is anger that I have, if there's bitterness, if there's struggles, if there's pain, if there's different circumstances that are tugging on me and hindering me from being able to see you, Lord, help me. Help me. Give me grace. And then in this season, tell others of the salvation that you have received. By the way, the gospel isn't for us. It's not for us. Of course, it is for us, but it's for us to share. It's not just for us. It's for us to go out and tell every single person about the redemption that has visited us, the healing that has visited us. So my question to every single one of us, the things that we learned from Anna, you know the thing that really stuck out to me and I was praying through last night was this one. Of the thousands of people in the temple, she immediately recognized Jesus. Lord, of the thousands of people in this temple, of the thousands of people that I encounter into the world, 
Make me acutely aware of who you are. Make me acutely aware of your voice. Make me more sensitive to your Holy Spirit so that I can do, Lord, what you ask me to do. My prayer is that we can take the life of St. Anna the Prophetess, be challenged by her, be encouraged by her, so that we can go out into this world and tell every single person of the redemption that has visited Israel, the redemption that has visited St. Mark Coptic Orthodox Church, and the encounter of Christ that we have seen, because Fanuel, we have seen God face to face. Glory be to God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.